0: Anyway, it's good to see you this morning, um, and we've enjoyed, or I'm enjoying this journey through the book of Acts, and I hope that you are too. There's so much to learn uh, in, in what Luke has written down in the history, the beginning, the very beginnings of the church. Uh, as I was preparing this week, I, uh, a certain phrase came, came to mind, and, and it's, it's one of those phrases that something spectacular has happened and and someone might stand and say, uh, things are going to be different now. Oh oh my! After after that happens, that's that's the resurrection. I, I I can't imagine what was being said amongst the apostles when, you know, they were so down and so defeated, feeling of defeated, watching their their rabbi uh, Jesus, whom they believed to be the son of God hanging dead upon the cross, and then three days later, he makes his appearance in front of them, I can't, I can't help but think that one of the thoughts had to be, things are going to be so different now, right? Things are going to be so different now. At the beginning of the church, you know, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, and the message was preached that, that he's dead, that you killed him, and, and God raised him from the dead. And, and on that day, obviously, 3,000 3, people came to the decision and said, things are going to be different. Any, any matter of fact, we look today and say, anybody who comes to realize the very identity of Jesus and, and realizes that he rose from the dead and is alive today has to come to this conclusion, things are going to be different now. Right, that, that continues to be a realization that I think ought to be repeated over and over within the church. Because our lives are different because we've come to know the Savior. Our lives are different because we've come to know Jesus. And, and that's so important for us. As we're pouring into Acts and seeing that over and over again, that's, that is always before us. And no different today. Uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 32 through 37 is where we're going to be uh, uh, beginning today, or actually directing our focus. Acts chapter 2, 32 through 37, I think I said that incorrectly, Acts 4, 32 through 37. Uh, When we come to this passage, Luke is making another commentary about the Numbers are or, or the, the people who are being gathered, identified as Christ's body or this community of believers. Okay, in chapter 1, it was 120, remember? And then it was 3,000 on that first day, the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached his first sermon. 3,000 came to believe in Jesus. And then here, after the story we just went through, Peter preached again because of that, that uh, miracle that took place and he preached again, and then that, this time 5,000 came to believe. It specifically said 5,000 men came to believe. Uh, they, they were counting so many, they, they didn't count the women. And so uh, the, the thought is it had to be over 10,000, uh, somewhere around that, that 10,000 or even beyond 10,000 people who've been added to the number. And, and Luke. Uh, has a commentary again after this this story is, is ended and he goes back to making a commentary about what is happening with this body of believers. So keep that in mind as we begin to read this passage. Beginning verse 32. 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, earlier, chapter 2, when we were reading about you know, actually, let's look at this community after that day of Pentecost. Uh, there is a, a commentary that's laid out, and we touched on a passage that very much aligns with what Luke is saying here. And we did, we, I, again, we did not go into de- depth or detail in that. And so I'm I'm going to take chapter two and chapter four. Let me read it and show you what I mean. In chapter two, Verse forty four through forty six. Here's here's what what's said. Do you remember what was said earlier? Even before, like in verse forty two, it said that they devoted themselves. It was after you know three thousand came to believe. The comment was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They they were a community of believers and they were devoted to those things. And then in verse forty four. It comes up and it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. We heard that earlier, right? They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Gener- generosity really marks the, the church here at the very beginning. Matter of fact, when, when, they, when you say, you know, the realization of this, this resurrection of Jesus, it changes things. There's a couple of things already today, the second thing, that, that we're beginning to identify that's, that's being uh, seen within the church. Last week it was boldness found in a couple of fishermen, right? Peter and John. Peter and John, there they stood before those religious leaders, and they spoke boldly. And, and it, was, it was difficult for the religious leaders because they thought, well, they should be fearful and shaking in their boots. But instead, you know, these common, uh, uneducated men were speaking boldly. They were speaking boldly. And they were speaking as men who had been with Jesus so there, there's something unexpected happening in that way. But today, I think it's that generosity we see that's happening within the church. We, we see generosity amongst those new believers is taking place. Again, I'm going to emphasize this. As we continue to walk through this book of, of Acts, what we're going to continue to see is how Jesus transforms our view of this world not only transforms our views, but transforms our lives, right? Uh, we, we know with the world, when it comes to uh, how, their action towards generosity, uh, it does not promote generosity. Really, the world around us promotes more, it's mine, it's mine, and, and not that idea of sharing. We're going to look at that today. And so here here are some lessons I think we need to learn concerning this early community. Before we do, we're going to pray, all right? Let's bow our heads and pray for the the message we're going to get from this passage. Father in heaven, we praise you, we thank you. Uh, You are God. You are holy and righteous. You are sovereign above all things. Lord, we have the opportunity today, and as we gather Lord, our intent, our purpose is to be honoring of you. Father, we want to honor you and and adore you, Lord, and and to grow in our love for you, because you've clearly identified your love for us through Christ. We ask, Lord, that in this word today, that you lead us, you guide us, bring us to understanding as we read this passage, as we walk through it, help us. The, the scriptures, Father, affect our, our, our thinking and our lives, Father. We want to reflect you as best as we can, Lord. We praise you for the presence of your spirit. We praise you, Lord, for the, the, the soundness of your word that we could lean and put our trust in this morning. God, we trust you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's dive into these lessons from this early community. The first lesson is this in Jesus there is nothing that divides us. In Jesus, there is nothing that divides us. It begins in verse 32 saying that we are all in, in one in heart and soul. Actually, they were. The, the early church was one in heart and soul. It could have simply said, Oh, they were together. But it didn't. It, it said more of this connecting phrase, or what a wonderful way of, of speaking about unity, right the The idea that I could use this phrase in a marriage ceremony is, is pretty obvious. There's a romantic uh, sense of, of, of this unity in saying, you're going to be one of heart and soul." I, well let me let me take you there a little bit. You know, when I'm speaking to the husband and I'm saying, okay, repeat after me, I give you my heart and soul, does that not kind of, and said, hey, I'm going to be together with you. No, it's not words like that, but I'm giving you my heart and my soul talks a little bit about the unity that you're you're about to enter into, doesn't it? The depth of unity and, and, yeah, the wife, we want you to say the same thing. I'm going to give you my heart and soul. That, that was the community of believers. They were in this heart and soul. We know that in families. Next week is Mother's Day. And I, I, I would say, I'd say mothers because I, I think fathers are there too. But, man, moms, are are they're investing. You know, they're the ones getting up early and going to bed late. Uh, okay, some of you, Right? Uh, Some of you, wow, okay, maybe all But that's that's what I know of a mom. She's up early, and and she is going to great lengths to care for her children. She's in it heart and soul. This says the community of believers were invested in each other to that point. They were invested heart and soul. I think that's significant. They they are no longer self-centered like we think the world. No longer self-centered, but they are Christ-centered. In their relationship to each other. I, as we walk through this, you know, chapter one, chapter two, th- chapter three, and now through chapter four, uh, I, I think that our clear perspective of the church is the church is not something that you attend. When we think about the commitment that's there, is, is church something that they are attending in Acts? It really is something that these people are becoming. When they're investing that much in each other, it is something that they are becoming, not something they're attending. I think we ought to, you know, pay very close attention to that. I think I've said that before, that church isn't something that you attend, it is something that you become. And, and you become it, why? Because when you, you know, come into that relationship with Jesus, he connects us with the Father. He is our Heavenly Father, Right? He is our heavenly Father. We're his children. And that doesn't mean we attend something where his children are gathered together. It's like a reunion where you're connected in such a special way. And again, the early church was connected by heart and soul. Now there are differences amongst us. There are definitely differences amongst us. But those differences no longer divide us when we're in Christ. Those differences do not divide us. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 is that verse that, man, I always go to that says what exactly Jesus did in bringing us together. In the verses that follow, let me me tell you, before verse 28, in that passage it says, Now that faith has come, we are in Christ. And the next phrase says that those of you who have been baptized, you have put on Christ. You've been clothed in Christ. And then 28 comes along. So it's that absolute connection in Christ that is, that is necessary. And so those who made that connection with Christ, here, here's what follows. This is what it looks like. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Christ Jesus. What, what does it say? Coming into Christ Jesus, all those who identify with Christ, it breaks down all the barriers of what our differences create amongst us. Man, society's having trouble with that. Absolute trouble with that. World's flipping upside down because of differences. And matter of fact, wanting to call more attention to it and, 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 and tell us that, that we're all a mess. And I agree. But in Christ, All those barriers are broken down. The barriers of nationality—wherever where'd you come from—you know—that that's that could be a barrier. There's no longer that nationality or or language or the color of our skin. There is no there is no dividing amongst that in Jesus Christ. When we're in Christ, there is no longer that division. And, and that idea of financial status, when it says slave or free, there, there is no longer. That, that had to be difficult. Slave and free, there is no division. That, that being removed, that means those who are rich and those who are poor, there is no longer any division there. And there is no division in gender, male and female. There is no division in gender, for you are all one in Christ. Man, when it comes to the very foot of the cross, when we come to Jesus and that realization, that is, that is absolute, things are going to change moment, right? Things are going to be different because that's exactly what Jesus brings to us. He destroys every bar- barrier between us. Also, if we look back at that verse 32, what they owned, owned did not divide them. 32. The second part of 32 says. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. We know what ownership is, don't we? We know what ownership is. It's, it's what you have locked up in your house right now. That, that's ownership. Right? And, and, and the, the idea that, that we are to share is exactly where the church is here. No one had, listen to this again, no one had this perspective that that what they had belonged to them. Well, who belongs, who does it belong to? I I think there was this absolute surrender of everything that I am, everything I have is yours, right? Everything that I am, everything that I have is, is, is yours. If, if, if it could be useful, if, if, if it could be uh, used on, on behalf of somebody else who is in need, use it. It was very much a, a united sense around them. We should have a, a kingdom perspective of my stuff. We should have a kingdom pers- perspective of the things that, that we own. It, it should be that perspective that it really belongs to Jesus. Jesus. Everything that I am, everything that I have belongs to you. It is that sharing. Uh, it, it comes along with that phrase, when you have a guest in your home, ha- have you ever said the words, hey, just make yourself at home? Make yourself at home. Uh, just, just had, sometimes that's someone who's been in your home several times. Is man, you've been here so often, just make yourself at home. And, 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 you know, place to open up your home for different things. It is that perspective of sharing that, that I find in this, this passage. In Jesus, there is nothing that divides us. In Jesus, there is nothing that divides us. The second uh, second point that, that I think is so important here seems out of place. It, it does seem out of place, not over the whole context of Acts, but in the context we're talking about this idea of generosity, it seems out of place. And, and what we're looking at is the source of our generosity. The second point is this. What unites us began with God's generosity, how he's given to us. He is graciously, wonderfully given to us. And that's where our generosity comes from. In verse 33, that, that verse that seems to be out of place, it says, And with great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know, it, it seemed at first they're talking about, let's see, the, the generosity. No one seemed to, to have, you know, or, or there, was, there was no one who said that their things belonged to, to, to them. Uh, and then they had everything in common. And then in verse 34 it says, there was, there was not a needy person among them. What place does this idea of the apostles giving their testimony have to, to fit in here? Sometimes when I see a verse that I think, man, it just seems to be out of place, I think there's got to be some significance. And then that's the case in verse 33. So what we see is, man, the, the, the promotion, the continued declaration of what Jesus did or, or what God has done through Jesus. And, and so in the midst of what's happening in the church, guess what? The continued promotion of the gospel, of God's giving Jesus, and the fact that, well, specifically it says the resurrection of Jesus, their testimony that Jesus is, is alive. It, it, it continues. Guess what, what fuels our generosity? What fuels our generosity is the generosity of God. That absolutely uh, identifies with that last part of verse 33. And great grace was upon them all. What's the identity of God's grace? Or do we know what grace is? The, the, the term that's always stuck in my mind to define grace is that unmerited favor. When, when you hear that, that's something that you take home and chew on for a long time. It, it, I, I, I got to tell you, honestly, when I was first heard, and, and I think I, I could give a definition of grace, but did I understand it years ago as a young man? I, I, I would tell you, oh, I absolutely, here's what it is. It's unmerited favor. But living his grace continues to amaze you all the time. Are you familiar with that? Living his grace continues to, just and, and let, me, let me lay out my best explanation of what grace is because it's what I do when I come here and I'm alone and I'm just having this conversation with God. I know who I am. And I know the reality of what I deserve is not what I've been given, that's grace. What I deserve is absolutely God's condemnation because I'm a sinful man. That's what I deserve, absolutely deserve before God. Instead, And that's all of us. That's all of us. We deserve God's condemnation and, and punishment. We absolutely do. And yet God chose to send Jesus for the purpose of taking our punishment. We don't deserve that. How do we earn that? We don't. There is no earning what Jesus did for us. So why did he give it? He loves us. That's that favor part. That's that favor part. That's what fuels this community. This community that says, now we belong. To, they thought they belonged to God. This is a community that thought they belonged to God until they came face to face with this message of Jesus. They began to realize the amazing grace. We could sing it. That amazing grace that God gave to us. We didn't deserve it. And yet he gave us his grace. This is what fueled the community. Then it wasn't just, and and the way it put it, you know, and great grace was among them all. That means that they received it, but then they began to live it. They began to live grace. Okay, I'm gonna give to you because you deserve it? It's not the message that we received. Sometimes I'm going to step up and help someone, even if they don't deserve it. It's because you have a need. And, and I want to love you as I love my Savior and, and the God who sent him. I, I want to love in that way. And so it is a part of growing. Understand this it is a part of us, what us growing and becoming more like God uh, and, and reflecting Him, you know, being those image barriers. He, he, created us to be there in Genesis. In that book of Genesis, he created us in his image. And we have the opportunity through Christ to bear his image. Guess what? Part of that image is being generous and living the grace that he's given us. Now this, uh, actually there's a, a quote from A. J. Fernando. He sees the uh, commentary I was reading this week. Uh, he said, A vibrant community... That means a a church that's alive. You know when a church is alive and and man, there's something about them uh, within that church. And there's definitely something about the church here. A vibrant community is a community in mission. It's a community in mission. What does that mean? That how important was it that we see this generous community and right interjected then there is the continued promotion or continued declaration of Jesus' resurrection. It, it continues to... So, so in the midst of a, a generous co- congregation or, or community of believers is the continued promotion of that gospel message. If the gospel message ceases, I think shortly behind that, also the generosity and and the hearts of the people change as well. Man, our message, the foundation that we stand upon, is Christ, His crucifixion and His resurrection. He is our Savior. Verse 33, don't miss verse 33 and its significance here. Finally, finally, I said finally, well, we got time. Finally, no one should be be needy amongst us. There, when, when we come in and, and there are believers and we are connected as a body of believers, I, I believe we should be able to state exactly what's stated there in verse 34. There, 34 says, There was not a needy person among them. All every need was being met through that community. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Listen, uh, they gave out of their abundance. Uh, The difference in the community, there was differences in the community. There was those who were wealthy and had, and there was those who were needy and had not. But in this community, those who had an abundance of things, they, they saw an opportunity in, in some of their, their possessions, and they went and sold fields and houses and, and some of the extra things in their lives, and, and they, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to those who were in need. That's exactly what it says. And so those who were in need in the community were taken care of within that community. They had all things in common in that sense. Listen, now, many of these were Jews here at the beginning of the church, a predominantly Jewish uh, congregation. They remember the laws that were written down, you know, that, the laws of Moses. And, and it was stated there that you're going to take care of these people. That was actually a law that was, that was established. It, it's there in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 35 It told them, it says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. That was a law. So, hey, they had to be obedient then. But remember, when Jesus came, all the law was fulfilled. And, And it was no longer are we conducting ourselves under a law but we are conducting ourselves under God's grace. These people are acting through the grace of God. There is a lot of want to in what's happening within the church. There's a want to that's there. I think that's what grace does within us. It changes us to that place of, I just gotta share. And you know, from the world that says it's all mine to whatever I have is yours. That's the big difference. It's not that idea of socialism and things like that. All, you know, there are th- folks that say, hey, look, it's, uh, the, the, the scriptures promote socialism. It does not. It does not. Socialism has that law over you. This is how you're going to share. We're going to take it from you and give it. But this is, hey, out of a willing heart, I'm going to give. I'm going to make sure others around me are taken care of with the blessings that God has given to me. Doesn't that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And they, they took and sold their positions and they distributed to those who had need. It is, you know, and, and, and the practical needs are met, you know, the things of food, uh, of shelter, I think maybe medical help and clothing, whatever. There was a need that. The body of believers were taken care of. Uh, You know, man, I I am so familiar with examples of generosity to to myself and my family. When we moved here years ago, uh, we had a home. We had a home all set up, and we even moved some of our belongings into the basement. But when we came, when we showed here that the person was in the home, did not want to get out, that that, that presented to us a, a real problem. And we had nowhere to go. And there was a, there was a couple here, uh, Gerald and Carol Matthews, who opened up their home. And, and, and not just myself, it, it, maybe if it's myself and my wife, but we had three rattly little kids with us at the time. And we moved into their basement. They had no idea how long we were going to stay. We ended up staying for a month until we could find a home. But that generosity, I have been, been witness to to. Times when some of our families, maybe you're one of those families who, who, you know, the church came along and when you had a need, the church supplied that need. I, I know many of you remember that. Uh, and some of those, those times happened even over COVID where the church stepped up to supply needs that families had. Sometimes we're not doing the, the, the good thing of, hey, I need some help. I need some help. I, I do believe we could grow in this area of helping and, and covering the needs of the body of believers. We, we do have funds, Benevolence Fund, and we have calls. Trish Trish just loves getting calls all the time uh, of, of those who are making requests. Some go beyond what we're able to do, but we've, we've helped a lot of people in our community but I believe even as, as this talks about the community of believers, this is where our greatest focus is upon. Are you, first of all, let me ask you this. Are you being taken care of? Is everything going okay? You know, sometimes we've had individuals who have lost jobs and bills are due. And we've come in and helped with bills and things like that amongst our community. I think that, that'll that be important. And, and while we have the opportunity to help, we're there to help. Man, the beginning of the church, there there was such generosity, and it reflected what God has done for us. Jesus transforms our view of this world. He absolutely does. Last week, boldness. This week, and and, and being generous. No longer are we looking like the world, or should we look like the world in self-centeredness. It ought to be, ought to be Christ-centeredness, which is absolutely about giving. Here's the points again, just to remind you. In Jesus, there is nothing that divides us, nothing that divides us. We should be investing heart and soul into those, into Christ, into, into God, and into his people. That's how we invest. What unites us began with God's generosity. We're going to partake communion here in just a minute. We're going to celebrate God's generosity in that. And no one should be needy among us. Please let us know if there's difficulties that you're facing because we as a church, we've even had to make an announcement at church and say, hey, you know, there's a situation and and that need has been supplied. It's time for our communion. I want to dive into our communion because it's going to be part of this message. It comes in in, uh, what Paul had to deal with amongst the Corinthians. So a little bit longer communion. Just hold on to your cup if you would. But it, it deals with what Paul dealt with in the Corinthians. The Corinthians tended to be really self-centered. Uh, they, were, they were arguing about who, uh, who was leading them. You know, well, hey, I'm following Paul. And, and, and another group says we're following Apollos. And another group says they were arguing over There was something wrong about the community. And there was definitely not this appearance of generosity. It's in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that I went back and looked at this story this morning because it all involved communion or it was centered around communion. Now, their communion is a little bit different than ours. You've got this little wafer and, and, and this little cup. This was a meal back then. They sat down at tables and they were remembering Jesus around their breaking of bread. And it was a meal. But here's what was happening in the Corinthian church. Listen carefully. This is important before we approach this all-important communion, okay? And in verse 20, it says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Do you see what's happening? In the very meal that they're remembering Jesus, there are gluttons... And also amongst them are those who are needy and going hungry. Verse 22 says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? He says, No, I will not. He was, he was scolding them for the way they were partaking communion because they would come to the table and stuff their faces. Just gorge their faces while others in the group were going without anything. Right there in the presence of the community. Now, we don't have the, we don't have the full meal in front of us, but, but what are we exhibiting in our lives? It's, it's time to think about that. What are we exhibiting in our lives? Is, is that their perspective? Do we have the perspective of of God's grace that he's given to us and that he desires for that grace to be working in us and our own arms open wide to help and assist and to be there for one another and to love one another? Man, I'm in heart, heart and soul. I'm in heart and soul. Is that your attitude? Or is it that sinful, despicable attitude of gluttony? It's mine. It's mine. I'll I'll take this part of Jesus, and that's what you're doing. Just, I'll take this part of Jesus, but everything else, don't touch. (laughs) It, It was kind of the attitude here the Corinthian church had. He then goes into reminding them what this communion is about. Hey, this bread, this bread represents the body of Christ, which he willingly went to the cross and died for us. He took that punishment that I deserve that death that I deserve. And, and, and then he took the cup and he said, this is that blood, that blood of the covenant. You know, drink this in remembrance of me. And he said this, listen carefully to what he said, 27, 28, and 29. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy man- manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I remember Peter's words, you killed him. It's for your sins that he died. You're guilty of those sins when we do it in an unworthy manner. Let a person, hey, here, important part, important part. Let a person examine themselves. Let a person examine themselves then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We, we don't take time sometimes to think about how significant this is. This is always we approach it we think this is a celebration of the body and blood of, blood of Christ. And and just this reminds us of are we living that? Are are we investing in each other? Are we, are we self-centered? Are we Christ-centered? Is that our pursuit? There's times when we just need, before we approach this, to have that time to really think, God, how, how am I doing? And even have that opportunity to, to repent before him, to just go before him and say, God, forgive my self-centeredness. So here's what we're doing this morning. Before we partake together, we're just going to take some time for you to just bow your heads. There's going to be silence and, and uh, give you that opportunity just to pray, to, to consider, to examine yourself as the Scripture says. And then I'm going to interrupt after about a minute and then we're going to partake together the communion. Let's do that. All right, if you would, take that bread. I'm going to read from you what Paul said in that time. And and when he had taken the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the body of Jesus. Then verse 25, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he finishes with these words. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes